0: I mean, He's been putting in work for so long. Putting a lot of work. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to Putting in Work, episode 80 of the interview podcast on the 8 Bit Collective, powered by Audio Technica. We're here this week. We got Alana Pierce on the show from Funhouse. She has announced her new job. We did not know that when we did the interview. We'll get to that in a minute because first up, we do have a contest giveaway courtesy of Audio Technica. It's going to run for two weeks. Uh, we have some in-ear headphones, as well as an audio Technica hat, a towel, and a bag. Just a bit of swag there. If you want to enter to win that, just head over to the Putting In Work Pod Twitter account. Check out the pinned tweet. It's going to give you a link to the Gleam contest, and you can enter there as many times as you can. That is available only to Australian listeners. I'm sorry to the international audience, but you guys have enough opportunities to do cool stuff, so I don't feel too bad. Up next, the iTunes review of the week. This week, it goes to... Wraithchild7 from the U.S. who writes, A very eclectic show with thoughtful host. The review says, If you're looking for a solid listen whilst commuting to work or during some downtime at your office job, this podcast might be for you. The host, Jono, is very thoughtful and sincere. The guests and topics are all over the spectrum each week, so there is something for everyone. Thanks so much, Wraithchild. That is a delightful review. And speaking of delightful... It was so good to talk to Alana. I've been trying to get onto her for quite some time. She's a very busy woman, as you can imagine. During her time at IGN, she was doing so much as a producer, as a host, as a writer, and she's someone that's been putting in work for such a long time, really. like She started writing as a teenager. She became one of Australia's biggest journalists in the game sphere. She was working for Xbox. She was freelancing. She was making a living out of games, which is something that's hard to do in this country. There's not the industry that there is in the US, which is why she moved to IGN. She accomplished her goals of working at a big company like that at the age of 21, which is pretty amazing. And it's only recently, in the last few weeks, that she's announced moving on to Funhouse. It's part of Rooster Teeth to take things to the next level, open up her creativity a bit more. She can now stream. She can create her own content outside of the limits of the editorial office of IGN. It was really cool to see, you know, now that she's left IGN, she's also free to do like some voice acting, which she's going to get into. She's doing some work with Noclip, Danny O'Dwyer's documentary series. So she just seems to have a lot more creativity now after leaving IGN. And it was really interesting to talk about how as much as that was her dream to get there, there's a lot more you can accomplish outside of that company and she's clearly driven enough to want to pursue as many opportunities as she can especially now that she has those contacts in the games industry and a lot of experience in producing content and working on both sides of the camera so without further ado here is Alana Pierce of Funhouse. enjoy the show thank you for joining me Alana it's awesome to have you here it's been a while but I'm really glad to have you on the show
1: thank you happy to be here
0: And it kind of started maybe six months ago. I think you tweeted something out about putting in work, a Donald Glover lyric, a Childish Gambino (laughs) lyric. And one of my uh, listeners said, hey, you should talk to this guy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know you've you've had a few of my friends on the show and stuff like that too. So we finally made it happen.
0: Yes, there's obviously the, the Aussie connection there, which is great. But I've always just wanted to talk to you because your age in some sense, like I know that you're so much more than your age, but I was so impressed when you got the job at IGN having followed you for about a year or so, uh, just being blown away by how much you have able to achieve. I think you were only 21 when you started working there. So, that might be a good place to start.
1: Yeah. I started working in the industry when I was 19 and I started at IGN when I was 21, I think. Yeah. What, maybe Mm. 22? Yeah. I don't remember anymore. I think I was 21. (laughs) (laughs) Let's
0: go back to that a little and maybe how did you get into the industry and did you grow up creating content? Was there a platform for that at the time?
1: Um, I mean, I played games since I was three years old, so it was a thing that I always did. And I've also written since I was a kid. Like, writing was always the thing I did in my spare time. I wrote short stories, mm-hmm. just... I always loved those two things and so it kind of always made sense for me to end up where I did because they're my two biggest passions. But I actually got into the industry accidentally as happens for most people. I was working at a call center in a job that I hated because nobody likes working in a call center and um, I was just looking for online job listings for other jobs and that was you know at a point in time where it hadn't occurred to me that it would be possible for me to make a job out of writing about video games. There was a job listing for a volunteer news writer for a really small Australian site that was listed on, I think it's pedestrian.tv is where it was listed. And I applied. And so it's mm-hmm. like, I, I just started writing for free in my spare time, and then found more community sites looking for people who would write for free. And then the first time that my work was actually edited was by um, David Wildgoose, who Still fairly well-known in the Australian games industry. And um, kind of from there, I started going to more events in the Australian industry. Got my first paid job. Like, started getting my stuff edited, so I was actually improving. And then from there, went um, part-time to full-time and then applied for the job at IGN. And that was always my end goal when I started in Games Media, was always to work at GameSpot or IGN. And um, yeah. yeah, I managed to make it happen. But it was really hard, you know. it was uh, I was working and Using literally all of my income to fly to events in Sydney because, um, you know, there's not a lot going on in Brisbane, so I was spending all of my money paycheck to paycheck to invest in my career in the games industry. So it's not like it was easy, and a lot of it's just like networking when you can and and getting access to games where you can. And, um, yeah, I started a YouTube channel, I think, once I had started getting paid for writing, but recognized the value of uh, video in the industry because it's there are. Uh, a lot less writers who are also very good on camera, and I was really bad when I started mm. too. But it's the thing that I decided to pursue sure. because it was like, well, I want to. I want to make this this industry like it makes so much sense for all of my hopes and dreams for me to end up here. So I want to make myself hundred percent applicable to any job I could apply for. So I started a YouTube channel so I could learn the video edit to write for video, which is very different to writing, you know, for, for actual written content or editorial content. And then I also started working on um, radio in Australia for Zed Games, which was when I started volunteer as well, is the thing that I was like, well, podcasts are a big thing in games and radio seems like a good skill to have. And then I can learn to audio edit. And I just, I just really made my resume as applicable as I possibly could so that I could be hired Mm. pretty much anywhere. And it was all I did. Didn't have a social life. I didn't date anyone for three (laughs) years. It was just like 100%. I'm going to make this happen. and, And yeah, I made it happen.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. And like you say, you didn't kind of realize there was an avenue to make a career writing about games. Is that because basically you were in Australia and there hasn't been, you know, that industry the way that there is in California?
1: That's for sure part of it. And that's why I left Australia, in all honesty, is like, I'd, I'd love to still be living in Australia. It's It's an incredible place to live and I miss it every day. But I would have, at the time of leaving, been one of the highest paid video game journalists in the entire industry and I was 21. So it was like, okay... I could keep doing this, but I've hit a cap. Where am I going, you know? And I think it's just because there are effectively no publishers. There are a couple, but almost no publishers even left in Australia. There's just such a smaller amount of access and therefore less money for journalists unless they want to fly to the US all the time. So that's why I moved. As for not realizing I could do it, I think it just never occurred to me, you know? I think it was just... Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I feel like part of it is, you know, I watched E3 every year and I'd watch all the live streams and you do really rarely or back back when I started watching it, you really rarely saw women on stage. It was such it was a thing that like I really do think that if I had a scene like women presenting on panels at E3 10 years earlier, I would have been like, mm. I could do what she's doing. But I feel it, not in a way that I ever like felt like it was a problem. It was just I feel like it just never occurred to me that I could do it. Just never... I didn't know anyone in the industry. I hadn't seen a lot of women doing it. And, um, like, obviously, Steph was doing it. Um, Stephanie Ben Dixon was doing it, like, just before I started in the industry. And it just wasn't a lot. So, I think it's just, like, I never had the light switch moment. Mm. And then I saw a job listing and was like, oh, I could totally make a career out of this. And it just, (laughs) yeah, it just kind of happened. Yeah, that's right. But Australia, definitely, you're at a disadvantage. Yeah.
0: Mm. And, like, when I was talking to Andrea Renee a few months ago, it was a similar story where she grew up with no... Role, like no female role models in the industry for her to aspire to, mm-hmm. and I guess that I didn't realize like you're a, a bit younger than her. I didn't realize that was still a factor even like five or six years ago.
1: Yeah, I imagine it's not much of a thing now. Like I feel like it shouldn't be. Yeah, you know when I was working in IGN, it was I, I was on a lot of content there, and I was always like you know arguing to have more representation, not even representation, just diversity of opinions. Mm. Like even if it was a white guy who worked there, I'd be like, he hasn't been on camera before. Why haven't we had him on? He's great. Stuff like that. And I think I think the industry is getting better about that kind of thing. So I imagine it's not as much as a problem. But yeah, for me, there was definitely very few. I feel like it might have been better for Americans where they had G4. Sure. But um, in Australia, we didn't really have anything like that. So yeah. yeah. And it's, again, not a thing that I ever felt like... Like, it was in any way oppressive or, or a problem. It just, it just, because I never saw it, I feel like it never occurred to me that I could do it. Mm. And then I started doing it and met all these other incredible women in the industry. And it's like, oh, no, you totally can do this.
0: Yeah. I guess that's like, shows how important it is to see people that you relate to on camera and in, in those kinds of positions. So
1: Right. And I don't think you think about it that much until you have a moment like I did where it's like, yeah, I feel like I really would have noticed earlier, yeah.
0: Sure. So, when you got that job at IGN, you said that that was kind of where you were hoping to end up, but you managed to get there at 21. So, what was that like? It must have been a pretty mind blowing thing to not only be moving to the US, but to be moving to where you're hoping to get at the end of your career.
1: <laughs> it was a little bit sad uh, in that I always knew I would do it. So, I'm like obsessively hardworking to the extent that you know, if you're going to talk about my age, I would say it's a problem almost that all these other kids from 19 to 21, like went clubbing and like had these great times. Mm. And I was just like, I refuse to date. All I'm going to do is work, work constantly. And I'm pretty obsessed with it. So it was a thing that I always knew I would be able to do because I won't take no for an answer when I want something pretty much. (laughs) So it's like, I will 100% do this, even if it takes me 10 years. So accomplishing it and having that as an end goal, I actually almost did get a job at GameSpot, but they told me that they couldn't afford to pay me enough that I could live in San Francisco and didn't want to pay for my visa as well. So right. it's like, I could have done it, but, uh, it would have been impossible. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was still, I think IGN pays less than them anyway, but you know, they were paying for my visa. So I got there, but, um, it, it was basically a moment that I was like, Oh shit. Like I've, Oh, I've done it. Oh no. What now? And then I feel like I kind of <laughs> did the exact same thing in IGN where I left after three years in a way that I was like, well, I have all these things that I want to accomplish and, will leave when I have accomplished all of them. And I feel like I don't have anything left to get. And that's effectively what happened. And it's like, again, this could be like considered poisonous, but it was just that I I, I very much am like, well, I want to constantly be doing things and constantly accomplishing things. And I did a lot of amazing stuff at IGN that I never would have dreamed of, but it got to a point where I think by the three year mark, I would have just been doing the same thing day in and day out. And I wasn't really learning anymore. I wasn't really gaining any new skills, like the contacts that are valuable in the industry. I already had all of them. So it was just like, I felt a little bit stuck and, um, yeah, I, I don't, I hope that my brain stops working it that, that way eventually, because it's like, well, then you'll never stay anywhere. <laughs> You're like well, I hope that doesn't <laughs> happen, but, but yeah, it's, um, it, it was, it was incredible to get to do it, but it's also a thing that, you know, even if it had taken me another five years, I think that I would have done it no matter what, because I just would have not said no for an answer. And I did apply there three times before actually yeah. getting a job there. So okay. it's also not like it just happened one day. Um, also took a $60,000 pay cut to work there. So it's like a lot of, yeah, like a lot of stuff that, you know, it it was a thing that I just really, really desperately wanted to do. And moving away from Australia is the hardest thing that I've ever done. And I don't think there'll be much harder than that. But it it was worth it. It was a pretty incredible experience.
0: That's right. Just because you mentioned it, and before I forget, do you think that you could ever see a circumstance where you could live here and make enough from things like Patreon to not have to be in the US or is that just to do the actual work you want to do?
1: Right. I was making more money in Australia than I ever have in the yeah. US. So I was making a ton of money over there and I, I could make tons more money if I went back to Australia, but I, I'm not money focused. work
0: itself. Yeah.
1: Yes. It's the industry here, the access to people that you have here, the publishers here. Um, and I definitely know a lot of Australian content creators who are making a lot of money and um, mm. still get flown all over the world. And that seems like if I were willing to go solo, that seems like it would be awesome. Like to get to live at home and still go to all these events and see all these people. But I really like working with a team and like building on larger scale projects and progressing through a company. Um, I definitely don't want to go solo. Whenever someone asks me, like, what are your. Long-term career goals. And when I left IGN, they were like some of the crappier parts of the internet kept being like, oh, she obviously just wants to go to Hollywood and become an actress. I'm like, no, no, no. If you would ask me what my like long-term career goal was, it would be more in lines of CEO. Like I want to run something. I don't want to, yeah. I don't even care about being on camera. And it wasn't, you know, I fought very hard against being called a host at IGN. Right. It was even on like with the job listings. We have these like, descriptors of people and i was listed as a producer because that was most of what i did and most of what i wanted to do was work behind the scenes build things up work with other people like i would write something and have someone else do it on camera it wasn't always about me being on camera so that i feel like just is very much in line with what i want my end goals to be and i do worry that in terms of media in australia that's way harder to do Hmm. but the indie dev scene in australia is incredible and i think people kind of underestimate it until you leave because um, every time I go back to Melbourne, it's like, man, this is so great. And everyone really does work together and does support each other. And the community there is amazing. And I feel like if that's a thing that I ever wanted to do, Melbourne is the best place in the world to do that. Or if everywhere that I've been, yeah. the indie scene there is just incredible. It's really great.
0: Yeah, every PAX, it's just mind-blowing how many awesome games are coming out of a yeah. small area. It's crazy. Yeah,
1: and you know, I go to the Game Awards and I go to the GDC Awards. And there is always, every year, at least one Australian game mentioned. And every time it's like, yeah, we have such a small population. Killing it. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's it. So, you got brought into IGN. You're the toy editor or the toys editor Mm -hmm. at the time. I don't know if that position still exists, but it wasn't long till you moved into, like you said, hosting and producing and doing more content.
1: Yeah, so I was hired and and video was part of my job. Um, And, you know, they hired me in part because I had this YouTube channel with 80,000 subscribers with these videos about toys. But, yeah, that job lasted for about a year. Um, doesn't exist now. And it ultimately just didn't work. IGN's audience didn't go for it. And they were just really mm. testing it um, when that role came out. And the sure. one thing that I did keep up doing from that role, because it was toys and culture. And I, I was on a panel at Comic-Con about toys. I have like $30,000 worth of toys. So it's like, I was like super stoked to be able to do that. <laughs> it was really fun. But um, the culture part was covering cosplay and covering science. And I had no idea how much I would love writing about science. As someone who's always been very interested in science. that was one of my favorite things to do. And I'm still planning to write about science for IGN if they'll let me. I'm still like, please let me write science (laughs) news because I love doing it so much. So I kept doing those parts of it. I kept running unboxings at IGN up until I left. So it just moved more into um, video production. And that was really because there was sort of a... To, like, the editorial team at IGN and then the video team at IGN are fairly separate. And the video team just wanted to use me for stuff all the time. So it just got to this point where I was like, guys, I feel like I'm caught in the middle of a fight and you both want to use me all the time. And it means that I'm working (laughs) constantly and I can't do all of this. And I was like, make a choice. Um, And I also just kept getting job offers everywhere else and kept being like, this person is willing to pay me this much money to do this. And so it's like when they made that transition, uh, I went from associate editor, which was a job title that was way below my experience anyway. But yeah, I was so happy to work at IGN that I really didn't care Um, to a producer. So it was technically a promotion, got a small raise. So everything like got a little bit better there, but I was still doing a lot of the same stuff. Just yeah. Aside from unboxings, um, the toys part of that kind of fell apart, but moving into production, maybe it was a year and a half or maybe it was longer than that. I don't, I don't remember when that transition changed, but that my job changed to being, um, I was trying to do let's plays. I I wanted to, position myself as someone who was focusing a lot on personality at IGN, which meant a lot of the op-ed videos that I were doing, which was um, you know, I I phrased them as argumentative essays. I wouldn't, they they were called opinion videos because it's easier to write, but I call them argumentative essays because they were very well researched and structured like an argumentative essay and I was using all that shit that I learned when I studied journalism. So I started doing those, those were under the personality branch. I was producing and editing Let's Plays, which I loved doing. (laughs) They did not work with IGN's audience at all, but I had a ton of fun (laughs) making them. It was really, really fun, but basically that was you know, sort of picking what game people would play on what date, picking which talent would play it, and then sitting in the room with them. And, you know, if there was something that they kept doing that I was like, this is going to make the edit hard. Please no don't talk during cutscenes. Try not to swear, like stuff like that. And yes. then editing them, which would take me, I don't know, three hours or so, and then getting one of those up a week. I was also helping a lot with social content, like planning social videos, but also just generally I would write a few news articles every week and go to pretty much every event. So my favorite thing to do at IGN was always writing previews and doing IGN first coverage, which is... You get to go to a studio for three, four days, sometimes less, um, interview a bunch of developers, and then put a bunch of pieces together about it. And that was always my favorite thing to do, but no one's full-time job. So it was just like, whenever I got to do it, I'd be like, hell yeah, finally, get to do it again. And the last one I did was Dark Side is 3, um, which is the first for this month. So it's actually going up this month. Um, oh, and cool. that one's been really cool, Yeah.
0: That's awesome. And I guess our podcast Beyond, it might be the most public thing that you did in some ways because it has such a, a great audience. But was that just a small part of the workload? Yeah,
1: Beyond and Unlocked, not at all even like a part of my job. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they aren't for anyone, which I think is like a good note. Like Beyond and Unlocked are things that I did almost every week, but they weren't in my job description at all. So it was just a thing that I did. Um, and I did write Beyond sometimes like i would literally write the whole show and then give it to the host or whatever and i was often coming up with headlines and, and helping with that channel specifically but yeah being on the shows I, I don't even really include as part of my job because i would do it instead of taking a lunch break right. like normal people would and it was just like getting to hang out with friends yeah. for an hour so yeah that that wasn't at all in my job description or anything just like a thing that i that i enjoyed doing pretty much yeah it's cool it was fun
0: yeah i mean it was fun listening <laughs> you'll be missed Indeed.
1: Yeah, I miss doing it already, but got to see everyone this weekend at Comic-Con. So. Oh, that's
0: awesome. <laughs> when it comes to your ambitions and everything, when do you know that it's time to leave? Like you said that you'd felt like you'd learned everything there was to learn, but when it is a place like IGN, I feel like there must be so much questioning your decision to leave and is this, am I, am I crazy for leaving here? And I know other people have had to go through that experience like Jared and, and whoever else before him. What was it like for you?
1: Mitch was around the same time. Yeah. Um... Again, because I specifically am so hungry to accomplish things, it was pretty clear cut for me. It was around this time last year. I was like, I'll be here for another year and then I'll I'll be gone. Okay. And I knew that. And I didn't, I didn't like plan it out that way, but it was also just, again, I, you get so many job offers, um, that I was getting office for a lot of really cool things. And there was things that I was being asked to do that I wasn't allowed to do because IGN's content restrictions prevented me from doing them. So like stuff like voice acting, I'm going to be in two AAA video games and I'm going to be in three indies. And I'm like doing all that stuff that I totally understand not being allowed to do while you work as a journalist. And I'm like, I get it. Like ethically you can't do that, but just like more and more stuff kept coming up and it just got to a point where I was like the benefits to working here that there weren't a lot left. Ultimately it's, um, you know, I, for for someone, if I was trying to like build a social platform, and I was, mm. that was that was a thing that I really wanted to, if I wanted to be super famous, working in IGN, you can get a lot of exposure. But that was never my mo. It was always just, um, I really want to build my production skills up and get things made as quickly as I can. And I don't, I don't know. It wasn't, it wasn't a hard choice. Like it was very hard for me to leave my friends. So the yeah. best friends that I've ever had, it was very, very, very hard to do that. Um, that was the thing that it was like, walking out of the out of the building was just like the saddest thing. Uh, but I think like, you know, with the way that my career has played out, it just, yeah, it just got to a point where I kind of knew that I had to, and I was like, all right, I just want one more E3 with IGN and then I'll leave. And I'm honestly surprised they didn't think that I would do that. Like when I had the meeting, so I was like, Hey, I have this other job offer. They're paying me this much money and I can do all of this stuff like they were like damn it really and it was like yeah it was like how did you guys i don't know but we had conversations where they were like we knew this would become a problem eventually that they weren't paying me very well and they were like we knew it would come up and it was like it's not that though like that's part of it but it yeah i don't know i it was hard to leave for sure but Mm. it even even everyone at ign was like it was the right thing for you to do like it was time for you to do it like i had people coming up to me on the last day being like you know you did everything here you were running so many things but you just I just didn't have anywhere to go. I wasn't going to get promoted. Like it, the the structure there is um has been in place for a very long time. So I think it is quite hard to move up at IGN. I I, I was very happy with what I accomplished there, and and they accommodated a lot of it. But yeah, it was it felt like a no brainer, yep. which is I I know weird to say, but I could talk about that topic for an hour about like the list of reasons why it yeah, was like yeah, I yeah. had to do this. But it definitely wasn't easy, and I know I'm sure Jared felt the same way, and that's why he just keeps going back all the time. Yeah. <laughs> that's why he's just in the office all the time now. It just
0: has to keep coming back. Yeah,
1: it just keeps. I'm hoping to because the thing is like I'm going to be consulting on a couple of video games and then voice acting in a couple of others that I'm like, guys, (laughs) I'll just show up. It'll be fine. I'll be working on these things and you want to talk about them and then I'll just show up. It'll be great. (laughs) Even when I was leaving, um, you know, our VP of video was like, we really hope that she can go back and walk here one day. Maybe that'll happen. And, you know, I, I can actually see myself going back there. Um, just not right now. Right now, it's like all this other stuff that I want to do that I really want to accomplish that I couldn't while I was at IGN. So, awesome. Um, yeah, it was it was sad, but I'm mostly excited right now.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting, like, to talk about, you, you mentioned Mitch and Jared and obviously the kind of funny guys, and there's been a lot of people who've left, mm-hmm. like, Stimer and people who've gone to do PR, do you feel like that the landscape of the industry and I guess things like Patreon that IGN is becoming more of a stepping stone to do other things or is it completely subjective to what that person's motivations are?
1: Um, I mean, if you look at some of those people, a lot of people who leave IGN will leave for the same reasons. Hmm. I wouldn't say that it's a stepping stone in that I didn't go in there with the intention of being like, I'm going to use this and then I'm going to leave. Um, I didn't sure. look at it that way. And there are people who've been at IGN for over a decade, so I, I think it, it is pretty subjective. But like, if you look at you know the kind of funny guys, even Jared, I, Patreon was never effective for me because I had it when I worked at IGN because I I both really wanted it and because I needed it to be able to pay rent. Whereas right. now at my new job, I don't need it, so it was like almost the opposite. Where it's like <laughs> I'm getting rid of Patreon upon leaving. Yeah. But like with the kind of funny guys, you know, they had that thing where they really wanted to make this, they wanted to do streams and let's plays. And that's the thing that I care about too, that you can't do while working at IGN. And I think Naomi probably left for a very similar reason. It's like getting all these opportunities that you can't take. And I understand why they have that policy, but I think for big content creators are all going to leave for that reason, which maybe that part could be considered a stepping stone. You're getting more opportunities because more people know of you because of IGN and... I could understand that being a thing. Uh, But we have had interviews when I worked there where people were like, yeah, I see this is a step towards my next job. Um, So it's like, (laughs) whenever someone says that, you're like, yikes, man, like this job is hard. Like working at IGN is the hardest job that I ever had. And I don't imagine I'll have a job as hard as that in this industry. Honestly, it's very hard. Uh, But yeah, I never looked at it as a stepping stone. The company that I'm going to, I'm not allowed to talk about any of it, but they offered me a job before I worked at IGN. So it's like, it's, yeah, it didn't quite happen that way for me. I don't feel like it really did for Jared or Mitch either. Like Mitch took his dream job, right? It's like he, for anyone who's watching, who doesn't know, you know, he, he went to write a Star Wars game in his spare time. He was writing fiction and always loved Star Wars. So it was a thing that I think he would have figured out how to get there. No matter what, he just had to do it. Yeah. It's a tough question to answer. You're right. It is subjective, Mm. but I think you probably do get a lot of benefits from working at IGN that you don't think about while you're there. Um, That, can be pretty huge until it hits a point where I felt like I there were there were things that I could have gotten that I couldn't anymore because I was working in IGN and it kind of canceled itself out.
0: Yeah. That's cool. And I mean, I hadn't heard you mention the voice acting thing before. Is that something you've been wanting to do? And if it is, it must be pretty cool to get a chance to do that.
1: I've been wanting to do it for ages. Yeah, because I I was cast as a lead role in a TV show in Australia. And then I had to take the job at IGN. So I didn't do that. What show was it? Oh, God, I don't even remember. They canceled it because Uh. I left. I can say I I probably posted about it on social media but they canceled it because they were like through production and had built this character that like was reflected on me and then I left and it everything fell apart and mm. I felt terrible but um, don't have interest in it, sure. in that kind of acting mostly because it's not f- it's not super fun like it's fun to work with creatives but uh, on camera stuff I've never enjoyed that much whereas voice acting I like a lot <laughs> like I every time that I've even dabbled in it you know helping someone with a university assignment or whatever I find it really 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 fun and getting to work with those creative teams for games that I already really love. I'm super excited about it. I'm not allowed sure. to talk about what games I'm going to be in, but, um, yeah, one of them, I pretty much cried when they asked and we should be recording for that soon. And it's, it's, it's a really, really cool thing to get to do. You know, it feels like my next thing that I'm not going to do it full time. Again, that would be an isolated situation where I really like working with teams on biggest, bigger projects. And I like the opportunity to move up in a company and accomplish things that way. It's a thing that I'm going to do on the side that I'm going to try very, very, very hard to do. Um, that's like, feels like my next shock thing where <laughs> I'm just like, yeah. I'm, I'm hungry for it. I'm going to do it. It's going to be great. But it's also that that's the thing where it's like, I'm already in going to be in franchises that I love. And I'm like, okay, what next? So I'm like, I feel like the thing that I need to try to accomplish is being a right. protagonist in a game. That's like, cause I don't have any of that. I'm just like going to be an NPC or whatever in these other games. I'm like, I need to be a protagonist in a video game. That's the thing that I'm going to try and do. But I also have yeah. no idea if I'm good at it. <laughs> I know that I enjoy it. I could get there and they could be like, hey, you're actually fucking terrible at this. And like I've sent reels to people and they're like, this is pretty good. But, you know, so many different games have different landscapes. um, So it could be that I suck. And then I'll be like, all right, good to know. (laughs) Let's figure out another aspiration. I'm not good at that one. So I have no idea right now. But, yeah, it's um, a thing that some indie studios did. I I think they probably do with a fair few media personalities. I know Naomi actually did voice act in some games while working in IGN. But because I was part of the editorial team, I wasn't allowed to. Because uh, I was reviewing games She wasn't She was allowed to do sponsored stuff I wasn't That was they, they do have a lot of really impressive Ethical policies at IGN That people totally don't realize That are very very set in stone So I, w- I There's no way I, I could have And I, f- I would have felt bad about doing it But um, I think that's a, probably an opportunity That came up because I worked there As well But it's it's just cool to be able to actually say yes now Like I'm very excited about it yeah, It should be fun
0: That's rad Look forward to seeing what comes out Yeah hopefully it's good Yeah <laughs> Hopefully I guess you don't have that <laughs> much control over it It's just like oh, Please be good
1: Yep just however I sound. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, Alana, what would you say has been the hardest part of getting to where you are? Like you mentioned moving away from all your family and your, your dog and everything. Uh, that must have been really hard, but maybe there's like something just as you have been developing your skills and trying to stand out that's been just a real challenge throughout this time.
1: I mean, moving away from home is the hardest thing that I've ever done. Mm. But work-life balance is a thing that I still struggle with that... I'm in a distance relationship right now because I actively realized that I couldn't not be. It was like, I realized that if I were to date anyone in San Francisco, they would fucking hate me because I'd never be there. I'd be working too much. (laughs) And it was like kind of a choice that I had made, which most people think is crazy. Um, So my social life can suck sometimes. And it's more of a personal challenge with just Mm. no, I I would call myself work obsessed and taking on a lot of things and getting myself really stressed out. And I, I think there are mental challenges of doing that. of like, you know, becoming someone who is sought after in, in any industry is, is difficult. But I, like, I always want to say when, if you see someone who you see is popular and you don't think that they deserve it, even if it's an actor or whatever, even if it's Jake Paul, like it's someone that you hate. It's like, yeah. I promise that person works constantly, like fucking constantly. And you don't realize that they work all the time or how hard they work or how much it might have affected their social lives or whatever. And that's definitely the biggest thing for me is that I, I um, would sometimes stay, I was, very often, the last person in the office at IGN. That was common for me to be the last person there. And I think that's a thing that I never really figured out. That I'm hoping that the step that I'm taking in my career next, which I'm not allowed to talk about, will be better about that. That I can find ways to be like, okay, it's 7 p.m., I'm not looking at my emails again. You know, I'm not going to read my emails and walk in. I'm going to try really hard to do that. Um, but yeah, I think it's probably not an uncommon problem, but it's one that I. I have trouble training myself out of and it sort of becomes this, this thing where your whole identity is, is your job mm. and everything that you consume. And if you don't know it all, then you're, you're failing at it and it's, it can be really tough. And I think that probably applies to, yeah, basically anyone you see who, who is in an industry that has had a lot of success, I promise it wasn't an accident and they worked super, super hard to get there. <laughs> like it's tough yeah. and yeah, entirely a personal problem, but it's the one that I deal with the most that has kind of screwed me up the most that it's just, can be really bad for your mental health, just working yeah, all the time.
0: I can imagine, and kind of on that topic as well, like being a public persona. You obviously, you know, it's in your interest to market yourself and be on social uh, media, and obviously you, you're doing what you do on YouTube. But that always comes with the audience, which they're your best friends and your worst enemies at the same time. It seems so. How do you deal with? I guess. I mean, I've seen you responding to negative comments, and I've seen you uh, even like. Way back, this might not even have been social media, but I think the, the way that I came across you was calling out a kid and tracking down his mum to tell him about all the ridiculous things he was saying to you, and that kind of took off in mainstream <laughs> yeah. media, um, which is I still think yeah. is one of the most bold moves ever. Like,
1: thank you. <laughs> uh, so
0: I guess yeah, just just dealing with that side of things. How do you uh, process all of that and like know when to pull back and ignore it?
1: Yeah, I don't I don't really think about it anymore, honestly. You know, I get treated like shit on the internet. A lot of people do. But I have a a filter on Twitter, so I don't see most of it. I pretty much remove anyone from YouTube that if they write a comment that is written with the intention of of insulting me, I won't reply Mm. and I'll just immediately ban them. And I don't even read the whole comment. I'll just be like, I figured it out. Gone. It's, um... Yeah. (laughs) I don't really care anymore, you know? Like, I don't... It doesn't really bother me and... If I do reply to people who are being shitty trolls, it's because sometimes, like, when you get this volume of negativity and you aren't allowed to reply, sometimes it's just nice to reply. Nice to, like, be able to, like, treat someone as a human and the way that they are treating you as like, a one-on-one conversation. And you can just snap at someone and then sometimes, like, I, I, I wouldn't say that I snap at people, but sometimes I'll be like, actually, and correct them on something. And I feel like I do that. Once a month or so. And sometimes it just feels nice. It's like, that's a thing that helps sometimes in a weird way. And that's why whenever someone says, ignore the trolls, my attitude is always like, no, like deal with it. However you want to deal with it on that particular day. For the most part, I don't really care anymore. It kind of washes over me. Uh, It's, it's at a point where anything anyone has written is something that I've seen a thousand times before, you know? So it's, yeah. <laughs> if someone came up with some new inventive insult, I'd be like, "Huh, that one hurt," but I it's not it doesn't happen, you know? So it's just <laughs> it's hard. Um and like one part of that that you kind of brought up is I never really felt like I tried to market myself. Um I didn't start a YouTube channel to get subscribers. I never did that. That's mm-hmm. why I don't have very many considering how long I've had a channel for. I don't make stuff that's going to be popular really like I'm not out there making Fortnite content every day. So it's never a thing that I really tried to do. It just came with part of the job kind of and there are totally benefits to it there are things that I would not have been able to do in my career that I can do because social media followers matter in some industries but Mm. with that it does come this thing where people will be like well how dare you complain about this when you put yourself out there and it's a weird thing because it's like well I didn't really ask for that to happen you know it just happened it's not a thing that I was Mm. really trying to do and it's not that it's You know, you meet so many incredible people. I have this Patreon community full of wonderful, positive people who I know as humans now. That I'm going to be shutting that down this week and I'm very sad about it. It's hard. You know, you get introduced to a lot of really cool people. So there are definitely benefits to it as well. But for anyone who's starting out, I know that it did used to really affect me, but I don't remember how. I think when I started, which was seven years ago now the idea of fake gamer girls was way more common. So even in Mm. seven years, I've seen this huge shift where people were often accusing me of faking playing video games or playing video games for attention, which was always really frustrating for me because it's like, you'd have to be stupid to think that you would have to be dumb to watch me talk about video games and think that I don't know what I'm talking about. Like you can't fake that. It doesn't work that way. And I was always like, you're an (laughs) idiot, but it was really hard when I started and that's stopped. Not just to me. I feel like the internet is just doing less of that. Like, the idea that women don't play video games is just dying out. And I've watched that happen slowly. And we're still seeing a thing where it's like the idea of, if, if a woman shows cleavage on camera, then she's doing it for attention. And that I imagine will eventually die out. Cause my stance on that is like, if you are a woman and you have boobs, you shouldn't have to feel like you have to hide them all the time. Even though I did while working at IGN, cause it makes comments not worth it. But uh, I think, I think it's shifting to like get a little bit easier on that kind of shit. Like the worst stuff at IGN was always just like you're paid off, which was absolutely not a thing. You know, it's just not, not even remotely a thing that happens and it's really hard to convince people of that. So I just didn't try, but yeah, for people starting out take breaks from the internet, if you need it, reply to someone, if you want to, if it makes you feel better, like go ahead and do it. Like you have to be careful about the way that you do it because apparently people can get fired for that now, <laughs> but <laughs> I don't know. I think, oh, I think um, not taking it to heart. It, it, I wish there were an easy way for me to teach people that, but yeah, I pretty much just don't pay attention. That's good. Pretty much, don't care anymore. Yeah, I mean, whatever yeah. works for you. I wish I could be more helpful, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think there's like a any kind of like catch-all. Here's how this, how you get past this, and here's how it works. But uh, I do also try to compliment people a lot. It's a thing that I started doing a couple of years ago. Is that I will just give a person a compliment every day, even if it's someone that. I know super well, someone I don't know well, someone I'm walking past on the street. Try to give someone a compliment every single day. And I feel like that helped me quite a bit. And Your whole world starts to feel a lot more positive when you start doing that. And then I started doing it on the internet just this year for the same reason. It's like for every negative comment that I get, if I'm leaving someone else a positive comment, then I don't know. I think it kind of changes your whole view or at least your whole mindset on even the negativity that you get. And um you know, recently people say something really mean to me. I'll sometimes reply and be like, Hey, it's okay to be nice. Sometimes you don't have to leave this comment. And people will fairly often be like, you're right. I'm sorry. Yeah. And it just sort of changes everything. So I started doing that and that helped me, but I don't want to speak for anyone else. Cause it's, yeah. it's a shit show out there. So That's funny. do it however you can. Yeah.
0: Like I've <laughs> yeah. my, in my, uh, one article experience freelancing for IGN, I, you know, took the opportunity to as a novelty, go into the comments and respond to all those kinds of people. and
1: mm-hmm. I responded to a lot of comments on IGN. Yeah.
0: <laughs> like, even just as a freelancer, you, you get people yeah, accusing people. you of the, you know, the IGN being paid off bias. And it's like, uh, yeah. that doesn't make any sense at all. Like, if they were getting paid off. I
1: technically don't work there.
0: Let me see some of that cash.
1: Yeah. yeah, But I believed that when I was like a teenager, you know, like when I was a teenager, I knew what IGN was. And I totally believed that because. I think it's just a a matter of hating the popular kid. But it's also like IGN reviews get so many views and they're so profitable for the company just like getting a review up there. But they take them so seriously. Like writing a review is most people at IGN's least favorite thing to do there because it's so hard to do. Like they're... So calculated and so very, like, you have to get all of this footage, you have to play the game and finish it, and then you have to log the footage, and then you have to title it all, and then you have to write the script, and then you have to write the written version. And it's, like, a very long process where it's a full week and a half sometimes where you can't do anything else, and you can't talk to anyone, and you just have to do that one thing. And I kind of wish... I wish people knew that side of it but no one ever believes it but I mean now now that I'm not there I feel like I can talk about it more and be like no these are really really hard and not fun and publishing them and having people be mad makes them less fun but I think the point is that if you say something and people don't agree with it it's just that people see more of IGN's reviews Mm -hmm. it's not that IGN has more reviews that you disagree with than any other outlet it's just that IGN has more visibility so you're more likely to see their review and I think that yeah. them being the popular kid just makes them a lot easier to hate, really. And sure, it's um, it's definitely a shitty part of working there.
0: <laughs> and a lot of those comments are probably like fifteen-year-old kids that do not know any better.
1: Well, <laughs> that's the thing. I believed that when I was a fifteen-year-old yeah, yeah. kid. I really exactly. thought that IGN got paid off for reviews, but I don't. I don't know why I thought that, but like it was a thing that I thought. Probably because it was just funny to say. Someone
0: probably just told you. Yeah. yeah,
1: and I was like fifteen, so I was like, sure, yeah, they wrote a review of Call of Duty that I don't agree mm-hmm. with. But it's I don't know. It just it just happens, but. Yeah, the reviews there are really hard and, and are very structured and specific and very carefully thought out. And one thing that people sometimes ask about that I uh, I feel like I'll probably mention in... Uh, I'm doing like a post IGN Q&A scene that I'll probably mention. Um, people will be like, well, how can you write a review and have an ad for the game all over the site and not feel pressure? The writers don't see any of the ads on the site. So the writing team and the sales team at IGN are extremely separate, like just pretty much no overlap at all. I don't know most of their names. I wouldn't recognize them if they passed them in the street. So the people who are making those ad deals and the writing team – just don't talk at all, except for one person who works on the editorial team, who is like the liaison between those two sides, just to make sure. And that person's job is to make sure that there is no way that anyone can be influenced by the sales team. Like we have someone who is hired just to do that. So yeah, that's crazy. If you're seeing, yeah, it's intense. If you if you see someone on the uh, editorial team who's like written a review that is for the same publisher as an ad on the site. And you're like, well, that, this doesn't make sense. How have they not seen that? We don't have any idea what sales is up to. We don't have any idea what ads run on the site. We never see any of it. So there's no way to be influenced by it. And people can be like, well, surely that would piss off the publisher who's paying for the ad. So that's an issue for IGN. It's like, yeah, it could be, but the writer would never hear about the issue. The sales team would have to deal with the issue. The, the writer would literally never know any conflict had happened. Like it's just no way of knowing because they keep those departments so separate that Like I've, I worked for reputable outlets before I worked for BBC for a little bit. And it's like, I think IGN has the most intense editorial policy of any company that I've ever worked for. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty solid.
0: It's cool. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Alana, what would be your advice to people who want to get into the industry? And you've probably been asked this a thousand times, but I guess even working at IGN isn't everything, like even just to get where you were before you came over from Australia, like what's the way for people to make this their life?
1: So for anyone who wants to work in any facet of the games industry, my thing is always... Uh, Most people are like, how do I become a game reviewer? But they write their comment with a bunch of typos and punctuation errors. And it's like, well, clearly you don't really care about writing. You want to work in the industry. You clearly aren't a writer. And that's fine. So my thing is always find the thing that you like or are good at and figure out a way for it to work in the games industry. Because it's the most profitable entertainment industry in the world right now. It's huge. There's so many different things that you can do. You like working with numbers, you can become an accountant at Blizzard and they will still let you have creative input on stuff that happens in that environment. So it's like, find... The thing you are good at or the thing that you are passionate about that complements games and pursue that instead of doing it the other way around, instead of finding a way for the games industry to fit you or to force yourself into it. Like if you aren't good at writing about games or if you don't like it, rather, why would you try to do that just because you want to exist in that space? So, yeah, there are Mm. so many facets to it and so many people that I know doing so many crazy different things in the industry that you wouldn't even know exist that I think... Yeah, that's the best way to approach it. And then, you know, some people had really easy pathways. Like, this, like you know, my, my career took seven years, a full year of writing for free before I started getting paid at all. And it was very, very little. And like I said, I was working paycheck to paycheck. And it was extremely hard for me. Like my pathway was goddamn hard. Whereas I know someone who just had a guy at a coffee shop walk up to them and he was like, hey, I recognize you. And he was like, hey, we're hiring. And that's it. <laughs> it's like some people, it's like <laughs> super easy. So... Like, I always want to say, make yourself as employable as possible. If, if find whatever the thing is that you want to do and do all of it, that's why I was, you know, hosting radio shows. I learned how to be on camera by choice. I would just be a writer and a producer. That's it. I wouldn't be on camera at all. But it's like, I recognized the value of that. So I did it. I started photography. I took some photography classes so that if I needed to do photojournalism, that's a thing that I could add to my resume. So it's just like, how it works out is, is more complicated, but once you figured out what you want to do, I think networking is extremely important. And I say that knowing it's hard for some people and as someone who is pretty socially awkward. So it's not like it's super easy for me either, but it is important to be going to these events and, you know, even shaking hands with someone and, and saying hi and introducing yourself. And then the more that you start seeing them at events, you just suddenly kind of become friends. So that's that's mm. an important part of it as well. and. I do think um, there is a wrong way to approach networking, which is generally to walk up to someone and be like, oh, my God, I'm such a huge fan. Like, if you want to work in the industry, that's not necessarily the way you should approach it. It should be slightly more professional than that in a way that's just like, hey, here's what I'm interested in. You made a game that I really like. I really appreciated this about it. Have a good night and then leave. Like, don't freak out. But that is a really important part of things as well. And I often have people in the U.S. be like, well, how am I supposed to do that? I'm from a small town where there's no industry. And it's like, I was too. Like, Brisbane had half brick and that's it. (laughs) Defiance there now, but they weren't really when I started. So it's like I was in that exact same position and just found a way to get out. And will totally admit to having a huge amount of privilege and that my family were really willing to support me when I was going through that. And I know that that's a huge advantage that I had that other people might not have. And that they were fine with me, like occasionally needing to borrow money to pay them back for a flight or whatever, because they knew what I was doing. So that was definitely a benefit to me. But yeah, I think... Figure out what you want to do, figure out who you need to know to do it and get a way for them to know who you are generally by engaging with them on the internet or meeting them in person. And um, yeah, just work at it every day. If you want to be a writer, write every single day. I even am now, even though I'm I'm legally not allowed to earn any money right now because I'm in between visas, (laughs) but I'm still writing every day. It's like, it's just a thing that if you like it, just keep doing it and um, don't give up. Because there are definitely moments where I could have given up. I could have given up on the, the dream of working at IGN the second time that I didn't hear a callback after I'd submitted for a job, but I didn't, mm. and then I got there. So, yeah, just it's, it's a lot of hard work and persistence. Unless you happen to be one of the lucky people who just meet someone at a coffee shop, which apparently can happen also.
0: Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, good <laughs> advice. Are you still an alien of uh, amazing ability or it's Yes, called?
1: an alien of extraordinary ability. Right now, because I'm that's in between it. visas, like I could do a whole 20-minute conversation about this fucking visa process. I'm not. I'm allowed to stay in the country for 60 yeah. days without a visa. And we're on day 24 right now. Uh, but I should have it in like two weeks. But yes, a- alien of extraordinary ability is my is my legal status. Mm, mm. It's pretty cool.
0: Just like ET, yeah. Just like <laughs> ET, yes. All right, last question for you, Alana. Mm-hmm. If you could do anything and know that you wouldn't fail, what would you do?
1: Go to space. It was yeah. a really easy question. It's just it's just go to space.
0: Hey guys, just an editing note here to say that at this point, Alana's mic completely went crackly and buzzy, and I don't know why, but we pushed through the last few minutes of the interview. It's just this one question. Thanks to Austin Adamson, the sound editor for I Speak Giant on the 8-bit collective, he tidied this up and made it listenable. So if you want to find out why Alana would go to space, keep listening. Back to the show. It's...
1: Like no question, yeah. I well, I mean, I do it anyway, even if have this conversation with actually Jared Petty and his wife Angie like quite a few times. Question is, if you could go to space, but you you I'd have to stay there forever, or you would die on return. You would guaranteed you would die mm. up there. Would you still go? My answer is yes. Wow. But Only if I could take my mom.
0: She would survive. <laughs>
1: I haven't thought that far ahead. Point is, if I'm going to live on Mars, I will go <laughs> as long as my mom can come with me. But like, if I were to go to the ISS. Okay, cool. And I would die 24 hours later. Even if it was tomorrow, I think I would still go to the ISS. If they were like, tomorrow is the only day you can go to space, but you would die. But it's the only time in your whole life you will ever be allowed to go, I would still be like, alright, this is where I die. I'm doing it. Definitely go to
0: space. It's worth it. It's like
1: yeah. my long term life goal is get to space. But it seems impossible. <laughs> like, I don't think I can do it. <laughs> but that's the one thing that's like, that I, just, I just want to do that one day.
0: I mean, nothing's impossible. So, unless you have you like know, millions of dollars, take which... your advice from the previous question and apply it to uh, to it's space good, travel. Good
1: point to space. Yeah. 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 All right, I'll we'll start doing social media at NASA and see if they send me to space.
0: Yeah. They need someone up there to, to take the, the photos and the...
1: No, they already do an amazing job of that. <laughs> the astronauts do such a good job of that. Like, yeah. well, I, I kind of sometimes get a little mad at my parents and I'm like, why didn't you tell me from a young age that I should be an astronaut? <laughs> because I could be in fucking space right now and I'm not. <laughs> like, my whole life. Because that's the thing that you can't just start doing when you're 24. It's like you have to start really early that I didn't start. Mm. Like, So much regret. But oh well. It's still the dream.
0: You've done okay for yourself.
1: Yeah, I'm doing all right no space yet but
0: i'm doing all right cool well thanks so much for your time alana really appreciate it and you know i've got huge respect for what you've been able to accomplish and i really look forward to the secretive next job and all the voice acting and whatever other awesome stuff comes out of it
1: thank you i'm super excited i appreciate it thanks
0: Thank you for listening and thanks to Audio Technica. If you want to follow Alana on Twitter, she's at Charalanazard, that's Charizard with Alana in the middle. And you can check out all of her new content at Funhouse very soon. If you enjoyed the show, it'd be awesome if you could leave an iTunes review. And if you really liked it, you can head over to 8bit.net slash PIW. That's A-T-E-B-I-T, and that's where you can pick up some sweet putting in work merch. Leave a review and check out the rest of the awesome podcast content from the 8 bit collective. You can follow me on Twitter at Jono himself, and until next week, keep putting in work.